glad you're here. So glad you're here. Uh, we uh, are starting a brand new series today. It's called The Language of Praise. The Language of Praise. One of my favorite books to spend time in is the book of Psalms. And if you've never read it from cover to cover or looked at all of it, it's pretty amazing to look at uh, the different expressions of worship, uh, gratitude, grief, thanksgiving. I mean, really, there is a dialect. I went to school with you. I remember you from back in the... It's like it hits you. You're Erica. Oh, my Lord. How you doing? How you been? Well, Lord, y'all, welcome. Y'all in Spartanburg? Well, praise the Lord. I used to hoot with Corey back when I had a hip. Okay. Uh, welcome. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here. Sorry, it's ADD. It just happens. It just happens. We're looking at a language of praise because here's the deal. Here's the deal. For you and I, uh, for some of you, you're like, man, I'm not one of those singers. I'm not one of those people that dance around on stage and throw my hands up and worship. And I, I want to submit to you that there are lots of expressions of worship. But for the majority of us, we are underdeveloped when it comes to making a skill out of living a life that gives worship and honor to God in everything that we go through. I've said it before, and now I want to give some application to it in the weeks to come, that everything we do is an act of worship to something. So the question is not, when you wake up, do I worship? Or am I just not passionate about worshiping like all the crazy Pentecostals up in this church? What it, what it comes down to is, have you learned how to make everything in your life, your work, your marriage, your relationships, your free time, your Netflix and whatever you do with it time, have you learned how to take everything as a means for and an opportunity to worship God? And what I want to do over the next four weeks is go through some of the words and some of the expressions of worship that we see in the book of Psalms so that you can develop a language of praise. Because I submit that for some of you, it's not that you don't want to worship God, it's just you don't have the right words to do it. You ever been there? Maybe you're newer in your relationship with God and so you've not had that struggle, but I mean, I've struggled with that with Morgan. There have been times where I've wanted to express to her how beautiful I think she is, how wonderful I think she is, and I've struggled to find the right words, right? And so what did I do? Well, I listened to some Casey and Jojo. I'm just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> All my life. She said, calm down. Okay. <laughs> oh, she said, wow. She, see? And, that, and isn't that what we all want from our spouse? For her in the hearing of our singing and worship to go, wow. <clears throat> I'll leave the translation of what she meant by wow to you. I don't think it was, I'm impressed. But I, I've wanted to express myself uh, to people and to give gratitude and thanksgiving to them, and I've struggled to do that. And to be honest with you, I've absolutely struggled with this when it comes to my relationship with God. I've struggled at times to find the right words to express how truly grateful, how, how blown away I am at His faithfulness and His goodness and His grace and His mercy in my life. And so I, I want to help you, as the book of Psalms has helped me in it, to find a, a language, to find the words so that we can live lives that in everything give gratitude to him. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to teach you four Hebrew words so that you can learn what the Old Testament text was originally written in. All four words that we're going to study and look at are in the Psalms that we're going to be viewing. And in those words, we find different expressions for praise. The first word we're going to learn today is yada. 
yada or yada, yada. Can you say yada to your neighbor? It's easier. It's like someone wrote that Hebrew word with southern. It's Y-A-D-A-W in the way that we would enunciate it. It's actually Y-A-D-A, yada, yada. Ain't you a doll? Okay. Uh, the second word is the word Hallel. Hallel is where we get the root word hallelujah. And we're going to be looking at what's known as the great Hallel next week, which will give you an opportunity to look upward and express awe towards God. Uh, the idea of Hallel is that it's to acclaim, to boast, and to glory in the Lord. Then we're going to look at the word Zamar. That's where you sing, praise, or make music. The sub-definition is with instruments loudly, which is what we try to do here every week at Four Points Church. And then the last word we're going to look at in a few weeks is Saba. And Saba is really the foundation of all worship. It's, it's the innermost, deepest part of your soul. It, it, it's, it's the difference between muttering words but, and then from your soul singing and crying out to God. And so this is not a series that's about singing and worshiping. That's one lane and aspect of worship. It's really a series about learning that we've been created to worship in everything and how we can get a language so that in all seasons we can worship God together. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 100. That's where we're going to go today. I'll give you some background as you're flipping there. Psalm 100 in your Bible. Uh, Psalm 100 is a ending psalm to Psalm 93 and uh, through Psalm 99. In that section, Psalm 93 to Psalm 99, we get a set of psalms that are known as the Magnificent Series of Royal Psalms. What is that about? Well, it's a series of psalms that each focus on one aspect of the character of God. And what you get is these calls for us to remember that no matter what you're going through, God is reigning, Psalm 93. Psalm 95 God is great, which some of you prayed last night. Psalm 96, God is Savior. Psalm 97, God is supreme over all things. Psalm 98, God is victorious and Lord over all. Psalm 99, God is just. So he's just, he's Lord, he's supreme, he's Savior, he's great, and he's reigning. And because those things are true... The hundredth psalm comes in and says, now respond. You see, reflection is such a key part to having a language of praise. Because when you reflect on who God is in spite of what you see and are going through, it gives you a parallel to the battle that gives you a joy to sing when things aren't right. See, most of us are learning a hard lesson right now. And that hard lesson is that there are parallel tracks in life, one called battle and one called blessing. And that's the, the track in which most of our life runs on. Now, sometimes all you can see is the blessing. And in your mind, all you have are things to be thankful for, and you're euphoric and almost manic about it. And in other parts of your life, all you see is battle. And so you can't find the blessing or anything to thank God for now, I've learned that my kids mirror me in my ways of worship because there are times where I've had the attitude in my inner person of, well, I got nothing to really thank God for right now. And then I'll sit down with our kids to try and get encouraged by them, which is a very scary thing to do. Don't go to your kids for encouragement until the Holy Spirit has come into them and they've been sanctified and transformed into the image of Christ until we reach sanctification and glorification, near glorification. The point of perfection. Don't ask them for encouragement because what you're going to get truth without a lot of grace. 
at least in my family. I don't know where they got this from or where it's been modeled from, but you're going to get the truth. And so I, I remember I was upstairs, and we have a spot in our, our upstairs area, and I was sitting on my kids and said, let's thank God for something one day. Uh, 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 let's thank God for, for one thing he did today. And Nora, my youngest, said, can we just correct each other? <laughs> no. I, I don't need a five-year-old's correction. I, I don't, I'm good. But they, they, instead of giving Thanksgiving, they just wanted to give things to improve on and work on as a family. So look at Luke, hoping that there's a lifeline here. He's my boy, you know, my, my buddy. He's going to carry on the name. I love him. Son, what do you want to thank God for? Nothing. <laughs> All right. Mace, 10-year-old. She loves the Lord. She's been baptized. I think the spirit of God's in her sometimes because there's other spirits that seem to battle with her at times. Mace, what, what are you thankful for? I got nothing to really be thankful for today, Dad. Okay. All right. Let's wrap it up. Let's just wrap it up. Let's go to bed. Let's go to bed. You know, right, right now in your life, you have battles, you have blessings. If you get so overwhelmed with the battles, you forget that there's reason to praise God because there's still blessings. And if you get so consumed with the blessings, you can begin to think that this is heaven and begin to think that there's no more problems and no more trouble whenever God promised you. That while you may have moments that give you an eclipse or a small view of what's to come, that we still will have trouble on this side of eternity. So we have battles and we have blessings. And in it, we've been called to praise because God's character over all seasons of life is true. In every season, he's Lord. In every season, he's supreme. In every season, he reigns. In every season, he's great. In every season, he's just. And in every season and circumstance, in the end, you may not see it in the process, but in the end, he is victorious. Therefore, Psalm 100 brings in this praise of yada, which means we are to extend our hands to God in thanksgiving and praise. Now, that's not in a worship song like when Mike Dubb with a mullet or the uh, Georgia Mass Choir begins to sing and Grandma gets on the mic and says, Jesus is my doctor. And you're like, oh yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, like, it's, it's not that moment. What it is, none of y'all got that. What it is, <clears throat> what it is though, is it's a statement that says, in view of who God is, okay, let go of what's keeping your hands down. It may be loss. It may be bitterness. It may be pain. It may be heartache. It may be a kid that is running from God. It may be a marriage that is imploded. It may be an addiction that won't go away. Whatever it is that would cause hesitation for you to lift your hands and exalt them towards God to say, I surrender, let go. Why? Because he's Lord. He's great. He's supreme. He's good in all seasons. Let go. All right. And then as the hands extend, yada, what we're doing is we let go of what's keeping our hands down and we lift them to give God thanksgiving open-handedly. It's open-handed thanksgiving that doesn't require a response in the detailed way that we want a response from God for us to continue to be thankful. Thanksgiving without strings. 
Many of you have Thanksgiving, but you've got strings. I'm thankful, but if God doesn't soon enough let that Powerball hit, if God doesn't soon enough change that circumstance, if God doesn't soon enough change that, then I'm going to take my hands and put them in action elsewhere instead of praise towards God. That's yada. We're going to see it in verse 4. Now, as we break this down, let me give you one last little detail about it. The first three verses are written to be your preparation towards the temple. So verses 1 to 3 in this last of these royal psalms is how to come towards the Lord. Verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 and 5 are what you do when you hit the door. So believe it or not, there is a good preparation for coming into God's house that you and I get to t- partake in and be a part of. Now, you can be in whatever state you, you're, you're in. We're not always going to come in in the best mental state. But my point is, I want to actively prepare as I come to corporately worship God. And verses 1 to 3 give us a diagram of what it looks like to live a life that's extended, letting go of what's keeping my hands down towards God so that we can live giving Him thanksgiving and praise in all seasons. Let's look at the text together. Psalm 100, it says, Shout with joy... To the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving as you get in the door. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. The ending cap of this psalm, let's break it down. We get six ways in it that we can give thanksgiving to God. The first one's going to make some of you uncomfortable because it's the very first word of the text. What is it? Shout. I, I want to be very clear. There's good reason for times of contemplative, soft worship, but there are some moments in view of the character of God where shouting is appropriate. I want you to think about how we have been culturally um, programmed to think where shouting is appropriate and where it's not. We have shouting for anger and shouting for joy, but think about the last time that your shouts for joy were towards God. We think it's appropriate to shout for joy when our kid, who can barely run, stumbles into their first soccer goal. What do you do? The Hebrew words, ruah, you from your gut, get it, Bubba! Appropriate. Come into worship. We begin to reflect on and think on the character of God. He's great, He's Lord, He's good, He's Savior. Imagine someone taking what you've been designed to do and in that moment, in view of God's character, going, Yes! Most of you would be freaked out and annoyed because you've been programmed that little piece of plastic ball going into a net is worthy of shouting, but the character and greatness and consistency of God needs silence. You do understand that heaven is not a quiet place, right? Have you been misinformed into thinking that little fat babies sit on clouds quietly playing harp music? That may be precious, but it's not what's going on this moment in heaven. That's a precious moments joke for those of you who 
go to Hallmark and spend money on figurines. God bless you. It says the angels' shouts in heaven shake the foundations of it. Isaiah 6 says that they've been flying with two wings covering their face, with two wings covering their feet, and with two wings they're flying, and they're crying out one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and that shout shakes the heavens. So if you're hoping for a silent night in heaven, you can get over that. (laughs) We're to shout the praise of God. That's the idea. The the word ruah, which is the Hebrew word that's being spoken of, it, it means to give a warlike clamor of a chant. So it's, it's shout with like a, a, like a warlike shout. A, 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 it's like a battle cry. Think more, freedom! But like what happens when Jesus' blood actually gives you that freedom, not like you know, you're going to get it for a few years from a few other people and probably going to oppress some others after you get freedom to not be oppressed by others. See, I, I think there's just reason to point out that you've been programmed to shout at football games and sporting events and you've been programmed to shout in anger at traffic and other things but but we've yet to for many of us learn that shouting is actually an appropriate response to the goodness and the character of God and sometimes the best thing you can do is give them a shout of praise instead of a golf clap of golf a golf clap of appreciation So the text comes out, because God's great, because God is good, release your hands, extend them towards God, and shout His greatness, shout His goodness. What does the text go on to say? Shout with joy all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him with singing and joy. And so the idea of the word worship in verse 2 is actually the Hebrew word for service. So believe it or not, worship is not like, well the band's playing, so now we're doing it. That's a means of worship, a mode in which we worship. But the idea in this text is that your service is to be a worship. Essentially, your work is worship. You understand work existed before the fall and sin came in? Some of you, I think, think in the new heaven and new earth there will not be any work. The problem is, is what we see in pre-fallen creation is Adam's in the garden and he's working. And it's good. It's not something that's dishonoring, but it's pleasing to God. And that is the idea of what we are to do as followers of Jesus in whatever the details of our life may be now that we're walking with Jesus. It's that we would work as an act of worship in all of it, in our parenting, in in being a spouse, in driving, in in, uh, achieving accomplishments, in getting financial gain or whatever it is that we're doing, that it would be not primarily about our survival, but about his honor and his glory. And so it kind of flips it on the head to where we're not running around as if we're orphans and we don't have a father that knows our needs. We're not running around as someone who doesn't uh, have a God and a Lord and a leader who's at work on our behalf in every season of our life. Instead, we are his uh, sheep and his pasture. He is our shepherd. And because we have a Lord and a leader, we now work, not rushed, but to honor God in a way that gives glory to God instead of a way that points to giving glory to us and our ability to get through another year or another season. We're to serve the Lord, worship and serve. The Hebrew word is abad, and the idea is that we are to serve to the point of fatigue. I'm just going to throw out an observation here. Most men are underworking themselves, and that's why they're getting into so much trouble. 
I know a lot of guys like this. That, but because they don't work heartily for the Lord, they have all sorts of energy at night, so they stay up like a delinquent playing video games, doing stupid things that they're throwing their life and time and attention into because they're not working for the Lord hard enough during the day. I get that this is not popular, but if you've been coming here more than two weeks, you'll understand that it's like, hey, let's find what's unpopular in the Word and teach it. Because it's probably where we're missing maturity and growth. My favorite feeling is to have worked heartily for the Lord and to come home and to do my best. And my wife can attest that there's some days where I don't do the best job at this. But to do my best, to be engaged with her and the kids and to do devotions and to pray over my family and to get them in bed and to sit there and rub Nora's back and to rub Lucas's back or to go lay with Macy and talk to her about this preteen stage that's freaking me out. In, in her bed, and then, and then they go to sleep, and then we go downstairs, and we talk for a few minutes, and then I hit the pillow, and I'm exhausted. It doesn't take me more than 10 minutes to go to sleep, but it's not an exhaustion from a malpractice of managing my life. It's an exhaustion of knowing I'm doing what God created me to do. It's a beautiful exhaustion. And for a lot of you, you get in trouble because you've yet to understand your worship as an act of service and work to the Lord. Therefore, you go to bed full of energy with lots of opportunity to get into trouble. So we, in the coming, we shout to the Lord. We serve the Lord as we're coming to the temple. We worship Him with gladness. And then look at the next call. Come before Him singing with joy. And so, so the third step of living a life of thanksgiving, developing this language, we shout, we serve, but we come to the Lord. I've said this before, but, uh, and I, I think I said it last week even, but when it comes to King David, the reason he was a man after God's own heart is whenever he failed, he ran towards God instead of from God. You have the blood of Jesus on your life. Stop walking in darkness as if the blood isn't sufficient for you to remain in the light. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. God's blood, God's grace, God's mercy mercy is either sufficient for all of you and every part of your life or none of it. I submit to you that because his grace doesn't run out and because his mercy is new every morning, you can run towards him no matter what last night brought. This is the idea. We are to come to the Lord. We're to make it a priority that being in God's presence is where we're going to be. One of my favorite worship songs. Your presence is heaven to me. Anybody ever heard that one? Okay, three people. Super. Cue it up. Uh, I love being in God's presence. And this call is to come into God's presence as a priority. You can come uh, in, you can come broken, you can come singing, you can come praising, you can come mourning. But at the end of the day, the call of this text and all the Bible is that you would just simply come to the Lord. See, for, so, for some of you, I remember there was a movie with Robert De Niro that they made us watch in Christian college. And uh, he carried a bag to pay his penance up a mountain. And the bag represented every mistake he had made, every, every pain he had undertaken. And he did it all in his own strength until the point that he broke, and he finally yells out, I can't do it anymore. And in the movie, the, the pastor or priest that's there goes, he's finally ready to let it go. 
See, for a lot of you, you don't come into the presence of God where you can be healed. Instead, you remain in the dark thinking that you're going to fix it and carry it, and you're breaking down because of it. Not knowing that the grace of Jesus is sufficient for you in the worst moment of your life to run towards him rather than away. We, We worship by shouting. We worship by serving. We worship by coming to the Lord. And the call here is that we come to him singing with joy. Why? Because it's in light of everything we've just read. He's great. He's Lord. He's supreme. He's just. So joyfully come to the Lord. But no matter where you're at, just come. Just come. I read a story several years ago in a book about a missionary down in South America, and he was in a remote village And uh, he was working with an an unreached group, a group that had no contact with the gospel. And so he's sharing the gospel with them and that he was raising up and had been there for several years, a whole generation of people that were becoming acquainted with the Bible. But there was one beautiful young girl and her heart was always set on coming off of the hill that they lived in, separated from the big city and going down into the city. And it was a big worry for her father. Her father was scared to death of the day that she would get up the courage and go down there because he knew that in that city awaited a lot of dangerous things that he was trying and desired for her to never experience or have to go through. One of the biggest of which in that city was a constant ongoing uh, ring of prostitution that was there. And so his young daughter one day, when she got old enough, snuck away and goes down into that village and doesn't come back for weeks and months on end. The dads grieved, the missionaries grieved. They go down into the town and they post up th- uh, pictures, drawings of her. And if you've seen her, please you know, contact us, find us up in this village and just trying to find the daughter. They can't get any traction. So the dad pins this letter and pastes it all over town. And the letter says, I don't care where you've been or what you've done, just come home. Just come home. And for some of you, you've been places that you're ashamed to come out of. And so you hide in darkness, not knowing the freedom of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ and the mercy of Christ. And I believe the father's heart for his daughter down there is the father's heart for you that loves you and sent his son for you. And it's, hey, no matter where you've been, just come home. Just come home. Number four, the fourth thing that we see that gives us a language for praise is perhaps the most important word in the entirety of this chapter. It says acknowledge in the NLT. It says know in the NSV. Know that the Lord is God. Know. Like, like not like what your kids say when you try to teach and correct them. I know that. No, you don't. That's why I'm telling you that again. Go clean your room up. I know. No, you don't. (laughs) You see, knowledge is only knowledge when it's accompanied by action. Until it has become active, it may be a theory, but it is not knowledge. It's an idea, but it's not knowledge. Knowledge happens... When the idea changes the action of the hand. When the idea changes the view of the eye. The call here is the knowledge of the greatness of God, the knowledge of God being Savior, the knowledge of God being supreme should now change your posture and approach. It should change the way in which you live. Conviction And confidence is the call of this, built on the foundation of the past chapters that have listed out his character. God is great, God is supreme, God reigns, God is just, God is victorious, and he is our Savior. Now, in the knowledge of that, come before him. 
in the knowledge of that, pray prayers that are worthy of them. And I don't mean, I don't mean doctor them up with like language and promise. I mean bring the biggest and baddest you've got. Bring the worst and the most addictive in your life. Why? Because God is greater than whatever it is that you could bring. This makes sense. Know that he is God. And then it goes into the communal verses. Verse 4. He has made us, we are the sheep of his, uh, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with, okay, before you ask him for anything, thank him for everything. That's the call. So when you come in, yes, God's going to deal with what you've got on you. But if the battle is so big that you can't see the blessings, start with the blessings before you bring up your battles. Why? Because it reminds you of the faithfulness of God in the midst of the trial you're carrying. Does this make sense? Y'all are quiet this morning. Last, last week, I think I could have like just done the Dougie, and y'all would have been like, oh, praise God, the Spirit's breaking out. This week, I feel like the Word's good, and y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy, waiting on someone to shout and take a lap. So we have this call. The call is that we are to worship God communally with thanksgiving, generally speaking. When you get around other Christian people, not all Christian people, some Christian communities are just toxic, ain't much Christ left, but generally speaking, when you come into the gates of a church, there should be a sense of praise that's active in the house. You may not be in a spirit of praise, you may not be in a position where you can see much to praise and thank God for, but the reason we gather communally, the reason they're coming into the temple is so they can be reminded that though their burdens are heavy, that the praise of God lifts that burden, that it gives a lightness to the soul that allows you to look up and remember the goodness of God. So this verse speaks to the temple and being in the presence of God with the community of God. And it's in the community there that we should be seeing ongoing praise that feeds and encourages and invites us in our times of turmoil to praise and worship God. I didn't feel like singing this morning when I walked in. So you know what I did? I acknowledged my numbness in my soul before God and I listened to people praise God around me until my spirit lit up with praise to give to God through me. I needed your praise so that I could get back on track with praising God myself. And that's a common practice that we see in Scripture. We enter His gates with thanksgiving. We go into His courts with praise. We give thanks to Him and we praise His name. We praise His name. And then verse 5, for the Lord is Accurate and understated. It's accurate because God's been good. It's understated because the word still seems insufficient to describe him. He's been good. I get the details aren't what you thought, but he's been good. I get you thought you wouldn't still be there, but he's still good. I get you've not seen your resolution yet, but he's good. He's good. This is the beauty of what we see. We have a good God in all seasons. So the call is that we are to live lives that thank God. The word yada comes in at the end of verse 4 where it says praise his name. That's lift your hands, let go of what's keeping your arms down, give thanksgiving and give praise. And then verse 5. 
God is good. And so, so look, 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 here's, here's what some of you need to do. You need to get on your feet and just let them know, God, you're good. You're good. It, it ain't good down here yet, but I know that good is with me and in me. And if you are with me and in me, then I know good will come through me as long as I stay with what is good. So God, God, it's not right. It's not right right now, but God, you're right and you're good. And so I'm not going to allow what's not good to keep my hands down. I'm not going to allow what's not good to keep me from worshiping and praising you. God, you're good, even when life isn't. So God, here's my praise and here's my thanksgiving while I wait on your goodness to be seen in front of me. Come on, church. God is good. My father. Yeah. I was going through a season where I was not wanting to yada. I wasn't wanting to worship God, lift my hands, praise God. Uh, the church had, I was a part of, that I was the pastor of at the time, it had grown exponentially, but then we had hit just a slump. Uh, everybody was at each other's throats. No one was grateful about anything. It was not fun. And after about eight or nine months of trying to get everybody just to get along and be kind enough so that we could sing Jesus Loves Me once without having to have a meeting, uh, I got on the phone with my dad and I just let my dad hear everything that my soul thought. My dad listened for probably a 20-minute complaining session of just battle, 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 battle. Could God bring wrath, wrath, wrath on this person? And Don't act like I'm the only one that's been doing that. We make fun of the disciples that want to call down thunder, but some of y'all have been trying to get a bear to come out of the woods and eat a kid like Elijah. Or sometimes they're your own family. They're your own kids. Like, Lord, grizzly bear, get them. I mean, like, pop the door open. And not in a vindictive way and not in an angry way, but dad's heard me say in your life you've got battles and blessings which is dangerous when your parents have been weaponized with your preaching to throw it back in your face my dad looked at me and said son I love you and I hate that you're going through this right now but I've heard no thanksgiving in the last half hour of anything you said and I'm just wondering if right now all you had this evening were the things that you had thanked God for last night what would still be left in your house? Like, would you still have your wife? Would you still have your kids? Would you still have your health? Would you still have a Bible? Would you still have salvation? Let me make sure you understand, you can't lose your salvation for lack of thanksgiving. But, but his point was, if the only things you carried today were the things that you would thank and praise God for yesterday, what would be left? I'm just going to be honest, church. It's probably time we do a little inventory over our lives to go, man, these things are keeping my hands down, and I'm not thanking God for all the other things that he has done that are given to me as a reminder of his ongoing faithful presence in what I've yet to see him do in my life. Isn't it amazing how the enemy likes to cut off any gratitude in the midst of your battle so that you lose sight of any sign of God's hand, so that you feel isolated and alone? 
I mean, imagine if your spouse and your family and the job he did give you, even though it ain't the job you, I asked for a different one, Lord, it had a couple more zeros on that paycheck. Like, but, but like the job he did give you and the health that you have and the salvation that's constant and the Holy Spirit that's at work, like, like all these things are means in which God blesses you and reminds you of his ongoing faithfulness when some of those things aren't going right. So what happens? Well, the enemy comes and tries to eliminate that from your view. So what ends up happening is all you see is battle. All you see is the problems. All you see is what's not right. And you get fixated on it. And if you're obsessive like me, you can't get off of it. You can't forget it. And as a result, you then become just consumed with what you don't got, which means you can't be content with what you do have in Christ Jesus, which is what we're actually called to live from. Not discontentment, but a contentment in the presence of God. So we live discontented, which means we then go and look for idols to fill the spaces in which God can only fill in our lives and in our souls and we end up jacked up and messed up from the floor up because we constantly are looking to broken cisterns to give us what only the living water of God can give us. Your job will never satisfy your soul. No amount of spouses will ever satisfy your soul or fix your identity issues. No amount of money will ever satisfy and fix your soul. No amount of success or attention from the world will ever satisfy and fix what's broke within your soul. You are at rest. You are at peace. You can know shalom only when you are in the presence of the living and reigning and ruling God. Here's what's amazing. He has offered himself to you. Yet for many of us, we have blown that off as the last thing we need. No, no, no. The first thing you need. It's not another win for your football team, not another relationship or a pay raise. You need Jesus, his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. And he has made himself available to you and offers to walk in fellowship with you in all of life's seasons. Have you forgotten that he's the good shepherd? Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Man, if I got that, I can get to a verse 6 of surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I may be surrounded. I may be in a battle. But man, if I've got him, I've got him, then I still got a reason to praise. I still got a reason to sing. How about you? Our prayer team's up at the front. If you need prayer because you can't lift your arms yet, come and receive prayer. If we can minister to you, we want to minister to you. But I invite you to stand and in worship and in praise, let go of what's keeping your arms down and give him worship and thanksgiving and glory because he's worth it. In Jesus' name.